Exodus 9, 13 through 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh. Tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Otherwise, I am going to send all my plagues against you, your officials, and your people. Then you will know there is no one like me in all the earth. By now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague, and you would have been obliterated from the earth. However, I have let you live for this purpose to show you my power and to make my name known in all the earth. You are still acting arrogantly against my people by not letting them go. Tomorrow at this time, I will rain down the worst hail that has ever occurred in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Therefore, Give orders to bring your livestock and all that you have in the field into shelters. Every person and animal that is in the field and not brought inside will die when the hail falls on them. Those among Pharaoh's officials who feared the word of the Lord made their servants and livestock flee to shelters. But those who didn't take the Lord's word seriously left their servants and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven and let there be hail throughout the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. So Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail Lightning struck the earth, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. The hail, with lightning flashing through it, was so severe that nothing like it had occurred in the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout the land of Egypt, the hail struck down everything in the field, both man and beast. The hail beat down every plant of the field, and shattered every tree in the field. The only place it didn't hail was in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron. I have sinned this time, he said to them. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the guilty ones. Make an appeal to the Lord. There has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. Moses said to him, When I have left the city, I will extend my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your officials... I know that you still do not fear the Lord our God. The flax and the barley were destroyed because the barley was ripe and the flax was budding. But the wheat and the spelt were not destroyed since they are later crops. Moses went out from Pharaoh and the city and extended his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and hail ceased and rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain, hail, and thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart, he and his officials. So Pharaoh's heart hardened, and he did not let the Israelites go, as the Lord had said through Moses. Yes, amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you, Holly. <clears throat> yeah, so we're going a plague at the time, so as you can see, that, kind of, that plague was kind of lengthy, wasn't it? So 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. You know, the most important thing we do here this morning right now is for you to pray because you got up, you got ready, you squeezed into here. You're probably sitting next to somebody you don't even know maybe. And now you need to hear from the Lord. So you don't want any distractions. So you want your heart, your mind, your soul ready to hear from God this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. So God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together to worship you, to study your word. So right now, just open my spiritual eyes and ears. Can you pray that right now in your heart? Help me to hear what I need to hear, to see what I need to see. God, just reveal my blind spots. Stir my affections for Jesus. Help me to hear what I need to hear right now. In Jesus' name we all pray, amen. Hey, so you know, I growing up in church, I was a little boy, about 11 years old, I made a profession of faith, got baptized, and I would go to Sunday school pretty much every Sunday morning, but I was what I would call a superstitious Christian. I believe that, that if I went to Sunday school on Sunday morning, then I would have good luck the rest of the week. Superstition, by definition, is a belief that certain events or things will bring good or bad luck. So here's a situation. Whenever we start talking about luck, then we take the providence and the sovereignty of God out of our life. We're no longer, so if I believe that God is sovereign and I believe that God is in total control, then luck doesn't have anything to do with it. So right now you're thinking, wait a second, is there, what does the Bible have to say about luck? Proverbs 16.33 says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. That I may mess with some of you that do some, I mean, I don't know about that, but you have to understand this. God is in control of everything. He is sovereign. So I can say this. Whenever I say that I, oh, that I was lucky here, I was unlucky there, then, that's, then, then what I'm doing is I'm dishonoring God when I say that because I'm saying that God didn't have anything to do with what I'm going through right now in my life. So I would just say this to you right now. Be careful when you start talking about being lucky or unlucky or whatever it may be like that. If you believe that God is sovereign, then that is something that's dishonoring to him. And I may, that's hard to kind of change our language, but I'm not, I'm not trying to, to do any behavior modification here this morning. Amen? Amen? We're not interested in behavior modification. We're interested in the Holy Spirit transforming my heart. And when he changes my heart, that's going to change what comes out of my mouth. Right. So let's talk about some warning signs here this morning. A warning sign of false faith. So I can, like, so I can believe in God and still go to hell. Okay? I can believe in Jesus and I can still go to hell. Okay? So there's a difference between believing in Jesus, that's a false faith, and believing, trusting in Christ, and a true saving faith. And I want to just start off this morning because we see Pharaoh do that this morning in our text. And like, where he's like, he's confessing some good, he's saying some of the right things. But man, his heart has not changed. So let's talk about this. What's the difference? A warning sign. So that's what we're talking about this morning, warning signs. A warning sign of false faith is believing in God and being afraid of what he's going to do. So I can believe there is a God. I can believe that there is a Jesus. But there's a, that's like I can believe that a man is a surgeon. I can go into his office, see that, see that he works at the, the hospital. I can hear other people talk about how he's performed surgery on them. I can believe in him. I can say, he is a, surgery, a surgeon. I believe he's a surgeon. But when I lay my life down in front of him and I say, you cut open my chest and go through surgery on my heart, I'm trusting in him as a surgeon. Do you see the difference? So that leads us to number two on your outline. A sign of true faith is trusting. Trusting God and being hopeful of what he is going to do. So there is not anything in the future when I read the book of Revelation that I'm afraid of. Okay? There isn't anything, when I talk about the prophecies of God and what God's going to do, none of that scares me. Because I'm hopeful of what God is going to do. Now see, that's, man, that's, what I mean, I've, listen, I grew up in church where they, where they used the book of Revelation to scare the you-know-what out of us. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, that, that's not the purpose of Revelation, not to scare us out of hell and into heaven. The purpose of Revelation is to show us that God is sovereign, that God is wrathful, that God is just, that God, listen, right now, every single one of us in here, we see things that are wrong in this world. We've experienced things that are wrong. And we're like, man, why does God allow that to happen? Well, let me tell you something. There is going to come a day 
when he is going to right every wrong. His wrath and his justice are going to be poured out and it's spelled out in the book of Revelation how he's going to do that. Let's go to our text this morning. Seventh plague. Then the Lord, Yahweh, his personal name was capitalized. That's his personal name. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrew says, let my people go. And every time, it's always for this purpose, so that they may worship me. Hey, by the way, that's why we are here this morning. We're here this morning to worship God. Now, let me just say something right now. Very important. I can't worship me and worship God at the same time. My flesh is always wanting me to worship me. That's my sin nature. It's all about me worshiping myself. I can't do that and worship God at the same time. And that's what Pharaoh's having a struggle with right here is that Pharaoh thinks he's God. Pharaoh's proclaimed himself to be God. So he's having a hard time with everything that he says for it to make any difference in his heart because he loves him some Pharaoh. For the time, for this time, I'm about to send all my plagues against you. Wait a second, haven't we had about six of those already? What God's saying right here is that God's saying it's about to get really serious now. Against your officials and your people, then you will know that there is no one like me on the whole. Listen, when... When this is all said and done, Egypt is the most powerful nation the world has ever seen. It is an ancient nation at this time. I mean, like the pyramids, the great pyramids, have been built 2,000 years before the Exodus story even happens. That's how old this nation was. It was the most powerful nation in the world. So when God does all these mighty acts, what we're seeing right now of his plagues coming down, but yet he protects the Hebrews there, right there in the middle of the nation. All the rest of the world hears about it. And all the rest of the world recognizes that God is almighty through this. So what he's saying right here, he says, then your people, then you will know that there is no one like me on the whole earth. So number three on your outline, God's mercy is seen in his prophetic warnings. I mean, God is being merciful, letting them know exactly what is about to happen every single time. Every time the plague comes, Moses comes up, tells them God's word, what's going to happen. We've got, listen, we've got prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled right now. We're in, I mean, we are in the Bible right now. If you realize that, we are in the Bible. The book of Revelation has not been fulfilled yet, and God is telling us what is going to happen when it's all said and done here on this earth. That is God's mercy revealed in the fact that he's telling us right now, you have the opportunity to get everything right between you and God. That is mercy right there. Here you go. Let's talk about some of these things. What? Does the book of Revelation say is going to happen? We got seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven cuffs. Let me just show you these real quick. These are not on your outline, by the way. Feel free to take a picture of the screen if you want to. Broke them down. First one of the seven seals. You see, this is all out of Revelation. I'm not going to read every one of the references, but you can see that. First one's a white horse of deception. Second one, seven seals broken. There's a red horse. It's war. The third seal is broken. It's the black horse of famine. The fourth seal is broken. The pale horse is pestilence. A fourth of mankind dies. The fifth seal is broken. It's martyrdom and a great tribulation. That's when there's a, there's a regular tribulation, and then the last half, three and a half years, the great tribulation. The sixth one is broken. That's the heavenly signs. We'll see that in just a moment. And then the seventh one, the trumpet and the bows, and that'll move us on to the second one here, the seven trumpets. All that of revelation once again. This is what's going to happen in the future. The first trumpet's going to be blown. A third of the grass and the trees are burned up. The second one, a third of the sea becomes blood. Does that sound like something out of the book of Exodus? A third, and then the third one, a third of the waters turned bitter. Then the fourth one, a third of the sun, the moon, the stars do not shine. The fifth one, locusts will the beast's military power. Has there been something in locusts in the book of Exodus also? Sixth one, there's a third of mankind is killed. The seventh one, the kingdom of God is declared. And then we got the seven bowls. You see, these kind of overlap a little bit here in Revelation if you're looking closely at this. The first one, sores break out on everybody who receives the mark of the beast. Second one, the sea turns to blood. 
The sea creatures die. The third one, the rivers turn to blood. There it is once again, just like what we've seen in Exodus. The fourth one, mankind is scorched by the sun. The fifth one, the beast government is afflicted. The sixth one, world armies gather together at Armageddon. And then the seventh one, the earth is utterly shaken. So in God and his mercy, it's shown us what's going to happen in the future in the book of Revelation. I mean, there's, there, I mean we, we read about these plagues and all this stuff that's happening in Exodus, then we have to understand that's ahead for this world as well. The world that you live in, you and I live in right now. Now listen, man, I would sit, I used to let, listen to preachers preach about this once again, trying to scare us and all this kind of stuff, and I would think, oh man, you know, that will never happen. Let me tell you something. Did the whole COVID thing change our perspective a little bit? how fast things can just spin out on us in this world, man. 15, here's what God says. By now, man, I could have stretched out my hand and I could have struck you and your people with a plague and you would have been obliterated from the earth. God says, man, I could have wiped Pharaoh. I could have already wiped you and all your people out. Are we seeing mercy right here? You do realize something. The fact that you are sitting in here right now and your heart is beating and right now your mind is functioning is by the mercy of God. That you can just walk in here and just sit down, make this choice. That's all the mercy of God right there in your life. So God's mercy is seen in the restraining of his severity. That's our fourth one right here. Man, we don't even know what all God has saved us from. You know what I'm saying? But we can see this that like, man, he's saying right here, I this could have been so much worse. But I'm not being as severe as I could be. Think, listen, that is mer- Okay, so you know what grace is, right? Grace is an undeserved gift. What's the difference between grace and mercy? Okay, so mercy is this. Mercy is when we have done wrong and we deserve punishment. Mercy is we have done wrong. Instead of getting punishment, he gives us good things. That's mercy. There's a difference between mercy and grace right there, Okay. So we see the mercy of God that he is restraining his severity. Man, I mean, are you under the cross right now? Are you under the atoning blood of Jesus Christ right now? Have your sins been forgiven? I mean, like the wrath of God is not going to hit you because Jesus absorbed that for you. I mean, see, do you see that? The severity of God is not coming to your life. That's you're saying right now, you say, man, I'm saved. I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ. Then be encouraged today. The wrath of God is not going to be exploding onto your life. It will on this world, but not on you. However, I have let you, here's what God's telling Pharaoh. I've let you live for this purpose. Listen, church, everybody here this morning, everything, even the most wicked things in this world are all going to weave together for God's kingdom purpose. You know, we look at, we look, man, I mean, like, we've seen some terrible things in our world. You're saying that the Holocaust is going to weave for God's glory? I'm saying yes. What we read here in Exodus was likened to the Holocaust. I mean, when they're having all of those little babies, when Pharaoh's having them all thrown in the Nile River, having them thrown into bondage and making all, I mean, like, pretty much the same thing happening right there. So what I'm saying is, is the worst atrocities this world has ever seen. We think, man, evil has spun out on us. It never spins out on God. God's given us a free will and a free choice. We can choose to do some bad things, but in the end, God can weave it all back around to his glory. So listen, here's the, here is the great opportunity for you today. You can join God in what he's doing right here and right now. You can live your kingdom purpose in your generation. And here's a guarantee from God's word. He will work everything out for your eternal good. Let's say everything's going to be good right now. Let's say you're going to prosper right now. But in the end, he will work it out for your eternal good. Man, that's good news right there. I'm glad I came to church this morning. (laughs) However, I have let you live for this purpose to show you my power and to make my name known in the whole earth. And man, it does. If you go read the rest of your Bible, I mean, like everywhere the nation of Israel goes when they leave, like they get there like, man, we heard what God did with Egypt. So we are fearful of you guys. Number five, in the end, every wicked act will be turned to God's kingdom purpose and will bring him glory. Man, that's when we see the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, and the book of Revelation, what that all is doing is that is when God is just making, destroying everything that has been against him. Yeah, hey, listen, you know what? There are people this week that have been worshiping Satan in the church of Satan. You don't tell me that's not God's mercy? 
That's a demonstration that God lets them live. I mean, they can build a church, they can worship Satan, and God lets them live. That's his mercy right there. I mean, when Pharaoh did all these evil things, what God's saying is, listen, I let you live for this purpose. I let you do this for this. You think you did this because you think you're God, you think you're powerful, but you don't realize this, I let you do this. Here's what he says to Pharaoh, you are still acting arrogantly right here. So the Hebrew word right here is mistolel. Mistolel, what that means is elevating yourself. You are still elevating yourself against my people by not letting them go. So what God's saying to Pharaoh is that you're still setting yourself up as God. Six plagues, six warnings, six plagues, and you're still elevating yourself and doing what you want to do. You're not submitting yourself to me. Hey, listen. There's a lot of people that are in churches just like you, sitting in churches just like you, listening to preachers just like you. And they one day said a prayer and they got baptized, but nothing ever changed in their hearts and they're wondering what's wrong. Then there's people like you, all over this world too, that at one point they said a prayer, got baptized, never went back to church again, never saw any change in their life and they think they're good and they're gonna to go to heaven when they die. They're a member of church somewhere. Listen, listen, you may think I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, there was a time back in the old days where when preachers just go door to door, go knocking on doors. And I can't tell you how many times I knock on somebody's door and then open the door and I try to present the gospel, talk to them about their salvation, and they'd be like, oh, we're all good here because we're members of First Baptist Church down there. That's what I mean, because like, when they said a prayer, got baptized, they became members of the church, they think, okay, when I die, I go to heaven. That's it, because I'm a member of the church. <laughs> and let me tell you something. As hard as this may be to hear, and you may disagree with me, and you've got every right to disagree with me, when I hear that and I see that, I say that people are setting themselves up against God, that they're, own, they're becoming their own God. I want to do my own thing. I did what I, you know, I'm a member of the church. I'm going to heaven. Now you leave me alone. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be my own God. The more blatant the rebellion, number six, the more severe the consequences. So the Bible says you reap what you sow. You sow. So I mean like, when I set myself up against God, that is one thing for sure. I will suffer the consequences. You choose to sin. You choose to you choose to suffer. When I make any time choose, like I'm going to be like, oh, well, you know, hey, God's going to forgive me. You do realize something, that I'm falling around right in the devil's trap when I say that, right? Yeah. But it doesn't really matter. You know, God will forgive me. God's full of grace and all that. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm sitting, I'm rebelling against God in my heart. Open rebellion. And the more blatant the rebellion, I will suffer the consequences. Oh, yeah, will God forgive me of my sins? Ah, if I confess them and repent and all that, he absolutely will. But will I suffer the consequences for my sin? Absolutely, yes. I won't have to go to hell for my sins. Not after the judgment, but I will suffer the consequences here and now for my sins. Tomorrow, at this time, God says, good in the time, he tells them when it's gonna happen. There's a whole lot of people out there that are telling us when all that stuff in Revelation is gonna happen. There's books, you can go buy books, man. Tell you exactly what, they set dates on the book. And I mean, like, there's, there's books that have been written in the past, you know, about what was that, 99 reasons why Jesus is going to come in 1999 and all that? And like that, that one didn't work, so I wrote one 2,000 reasons why he comes in 2,000, you know? I mean, like, and they sold, people bought them, and they read them. And I mean, like, they're out there telling us, and Jesus says, you won't know the time, you won't know the season. Nobody, yeah, not even me, said, I don't even know when I'm coming back. So be careful about trying to figure out the numbers and the days and all that kind of stuff. Jesus is teaching us from the scriptures, the Bible wants us to be ready, to stay ready, to live ready not to ignore the warning signs. So tomorrow at this time, I'll rain down the worst hell that has ever occurred in Egypt from this day. It was founded until now. Therefore, give orders to bring your livestock and all that you have in the fields, into shelters. Man, is that mercy right there? Every person and animal that is in the field and, and Every person and animal that is in the field and not brought inside will die when the hell falls. That didn't sound right for a moment there. Those among Pharaoh's officials who feared the word of the Lord. What? 
Now, here's what you have to understand. Eventually, we're going to be leaving Egypt. And when we leave, there's what's called the mixed rabble. That may be King James Version, by the way. Not sure. But there is, there is Egyptians that are going to leave with the Hebrews when they head out, okay? And they will cause trouble, by the way. So right here, we've got some that are fearing the word of the Lord. They made their servants and livestock flee to the shelters. Let me tell you something, folks. Hey, listen. There's people out there in the world right now today who are following biblical standards that don't really believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But as a result of following those biblical standards, they are reaping some good things as a result of that. You follow biblical principles, and that's what happens. It's an amazing thing about the power of the Word of God. But those who didn't take to heart the Lord's words, they left man their servants the livestock. They didn't pay any attention to it. Even though six times it just happened, they're like, meh. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven and let there be hell throughout the land of Egypt on people and animals and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. So Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hell, lightning struck the land and the Lord rained hell on the land of Egypt. The hell with lightning flashing through it was so severe that nothing like it had occurred in the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout the land of Egypt, the hell struck down everything in the field, both people and animals. The hell beat down every plant in the field and shattered every tree in the field. So it says in Revelation that when the hell is going to become in Revelation, it, said, it says that the hailstones are going to be about 100 pounds each. The only place it didn't hell was in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. I don't know about you, but I think if I was in Egypt, I'd go move there, right? <laughs> Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron. Man, I've sinned this time. Wait, 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 hang on. This time? What about all the previous times? Y'all good on that, huh? Just this time. Just this time when it got this severe, this is the only time you sinned. So he said to them, the Lord is a righteous one. And I and my people are the guilty ones. Man, he's saying all the right things, isn't he? Yep. Make an appeal to the Lord. Now, here's where I want Moses to say, no, you go pray yourself, buddy. Uh-huh. Because he's, wanting, he's needing Moses to go pray for him. Well, my question is this. Why aren't you doing the praying? You know why he's not doing the praying? Because he thinks he's God. And he's not going to humble himself to pray to any other God. So right here, he says, go make an appeal to the Lord. There has been enough of God's thunder in hell. I'll let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. So here's the problem that I have with scaring people into salvation. There is false professions that happen when we do that. Because then it's all about being scared and not wanting to go to hell and all of that. So then there's nothing about my relationship with Jesus. There's nothing growing and really living. There's no stirring of the Holy Spirit in my heart. It's just me making a decision that I don't want to go to hell. And I'm gonna let, I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. Man, that dude is a liar. Moses said to him, when I have left the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord and the thunder will cease and there will be no more so that you may know that it wasn't luck. That you didn't just, it wasn't just by chance. Oh, wow, we got lucky it all stopped. That you may know that the earth belongs to the Lord. But as far as for you and your officials, I know that you still don't feel the Lord. Man, preach it, Moses. Get him. He didn't back down a, an inch right here. He's like, man, you're not fooling me. That's all empty words right there. Now, the flax and the barley were destroyed because the barley was ripe and the flax was budding. But the wheat and the spelt were not destroyed since they are later crops. God's mercy once again. Moses left Pharaoh in the city and spread out his hands to the Lord Then the thunder and the hell ceased, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hell and thunder had ceased, when all all the pain came to an end, he sinned again and hardened his heart. He and his officials, as soon as the pressure was off, he's not worried about praying to God anymore. He's not thinking about following through with what he just promised. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you need some pressure on your life to be obedient to God? Do you need some pressure on your life before you really pray like you need to pray? When all of life is good and going your way, do you struggle to pray like you should pray? 
you do understand that sometimes most, one of the most loving things God can do is put us under pressure, right? Because then we start realizing that he is sovereign and we are not. Then we start realizing that this is all in God's hand. It's not in my hand. I need to seek you, Lord. I need thee every hour. I need thee. Say, hey, listen, let me tell you something this morning, dear friend. If you're sitting here this morning and you've done everything right and everything has gone wrong, then know this, God is sovereign. His good providence is at work in your life even when you don't feel it, even when you don't see it. Even when you don't think it, even when it seems like you try and you try and you try and it still falls apart, he is still good. So Pharaoh's heart was hard. (laughs) And that's the whole problem. And he did not let the Israelites go because he's a liar. As the Lord said, through Mo- so Moses isn't surprised. God's not surprised. This is who Pharaoh is. Now, the most important thing, okay, whenever this life is over with for you, what will be the most important thing for you? Oh, wait, wait hang on, hang on a second. Let me ask you another question. When is this life going to be over with for you? You don't know? You don't have a day and a time on that one? So you mean that, that God has just kind of left this out there for us all to contemplate and to stay ready all the time? So what will matter most to you when you leave this life? Two minutes after you die, what's going to matter the most to you? Let's talk about six warning signs of false faith because I would not want to know that you came and you sit and you listen to me preach Sunday after Sunday and you get surprised when you get there. Number one. If you love and are in bondage to sin, if I'm loving my sin, then that's, that's proof right there that I'm not loving Jesus. I can't love Jesus wholeheartedly and love sin wholeheartedly at the same time. I'm either going to, it's either one way or the other. So I mean, listen, if, that's a warning sign. So right here, you may be saying, some of y'all right now, I'm, oh man, I'm lost. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm saying a warning sign, Okay. We all backslide. The old pre- and that, I can't find backslide anywhere in the Bible, but the old preachers talk about backsliding all the time. It's the truth. I mean, sometimes we're, we're making progress to the Lord. We're climbing that mountain. Sometimes we start to relax and we start to backslide back down spiritually. We start to lose spiritual progress in our life. We all do that from time to time. That doesn't mean I'm lost. That just means I'm backslidden. But if I stay in a, if there's never, if this is something that all the time, I've never stopped loving my sin and I'm in bondage to the sin, that's a warning sign of false faith. Look at this, Romans 6.6. 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. So it has, it is, listen, it, I am not in bondage to sin. If you said it this morning, you're like, man, there's these sins I got right here, and I just can't help it. Okay, so listen. You have to understand something. When you say that, then what you're saying is that that sin has you in this bondage, in its grips. If you are in the grips of Jesus, and if you're in a bond slave to Christ, no sin can, can have you. You understand that? You confess. You repent. He sets you free. He gives you life. He gives you things that you can't do on your own, which will bring us to our next ones right here. There's no fruit of repentance. Number two, if I have never repented of my sin, then that's a warning sign of false faith. That's a person that comes, says a prayer, gets baptized or whatever it may be, makes a decision, but there's never any change in their life. They never go back to church. They never grow in that faith. I mean, that's, that's a warning sign of false faith right there. So when the, the people are coming to John the Baptist, he's baptizing people in the Jordan River, He said, you bring me fruits worthy of repentance. Show me the change that's in your life. Number three, there's no fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so is this plural or is that singular? Somebody help me out. So it's singular, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit, and then names off multiple things. Why does it say singular and there's multiple fruits here? Because when you got one, you got all nine. Look at that. Hey, here's the good news this morning. Did I tell you all this in behavior modification? I told you all that before, right? Not behavior. You're not modifying your behavior on this one. This is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit changing you with love, giving you supernatural love, supernatural joy, supernatural peace, This is what it produces in you. This is not you modifying your behavior. So if I've got that, man, I can't explain it, but I got some joy right now. That's a good sign. 
But if I don't have any of this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, never any of that. Oh, that's a warning sign right there. Number four, no desire to intake God's word and pray. So if you are alive, if your soul is alive, then your soul is going to be hungry and thirsty. Okay? If you're alive physically and you're healthy, then you're going to be hungry and thirsty. That's a part of being alive physically. The same thing is true spiritually. If you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, you know, Dave, I'm getting kind of concerned because I'm going down this list and I'm like, that's a whole lot of warning signs. And here's the thing. If you never are interested in Bible intake, reading the Bible, hearing the Bible, you're never interested in praying to God, that is a serious warning sign in your life. I'll tell you once again, one of the most important things of soul care I do is I hit that dwell app every day. And I, you, you know, I don't, my mind, it's not from my mind. You say, well, David, can you remember all? No, it's not from my mind. It's from my, my soul hears every word. My soul is never asleep. My soul is never turned off. That Bob, and that word of God going in my soul every day, that transforms my life. I have no desire to worship and fellowship with God's people. Now, listen. I get the full brunt of getting to hear people say, ah, oh, well, you know, man, the church is telling people today. The church, is, the church is full of hypocrites. Hey, you might have heard that. Let me tell you something. I get to hear that a lot, by the way. I mean, people love it. It's like, it's like when I leave out here, I go find, I mean, people just find me. As a preacher, are you preaching? Oh, listen, the church is telling people today. Full of a bunch of hypocrites. This is why I don't go to church. Okay, so, okay, so, here, so let's just get the sarcastic stuff out of the way right quick, all right? So what I'm going to do is just close all the churches we better off then. If every church can close this tomorrow, is the world better off? That's my, that's my rhetorical question right there. Is the world better off if we close down every church in the world tomorrow? Do you realize how much charity, how much this world is better because the church is in the world? And then here's my, here's my other argument, okay? If the, the church is so messed up, you don't want to go to church, you don't want to participate in the church, then, then how's the church ever going to change and be what it should be if all the people who know how it should be don't go to church? I told you I can be real sarcastic, okay? It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I think. <laughs> Number six, no desire to commune with God. So, man, if I don't want to be near God, if I don't want to pray, if I don't want to read my Bible, if I don't want to hear the Bible, I mean, like, that's a, that's a bad sign right there. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, when somebody's married, if they don't want to communicate with their spouse, they don't want to talk to their spouse, they don't want their spouse talking to them, that's a messed up relationship. So if I'm, if I'm the bride of Christ, now I know you dudes in here don't like that, all right? But you just got to deal with it. The Bible says we are all the bride of Christ. If we're the bride of Christ, then I should have a desire to commune with the Lord. I should be wanting to hear from him. That's the Bible, the intake right there, hearing God speak to me, and prayer is me speaking back to God. That is that relationship right there. Y'all do six signs of true saving faith now that we got those out of the way? Hey, we've got time this morning. That's the good news. Let's do it, all right? Number one, man, I've got an unwavering faith in God's good providence. We just talked about that a while ago. That's a sign of saving faith right there, that when everything falls apart, man, when you are mistreated, when things go bad, when you get sick, when you lose your job, when everything falls apart, man, it's unwavering. Man, it's like God is good. That's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit inside of you, my friend. Number two. Supernatural desire and ability to live in obedience to Jesus because you, your flesh don't want to do that. I can get, listen, every single one of you, here's what I can guarantee you. None of you does your flesh want to read the Bible and pray. None of you, your flesh is like, oh, we get to go to church today. Go sing songs and go listen to the word. Man, your flesh does not like that. So I mean, like, if you're saying this morning, say, man, I had a hard time getting here. Okay, that's understandable, all right? Don't feel bad about that. But know this, that if you've got any desire and ability to Obey Jesus. That's the work of God in your life. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. Is that behavior modification? It's not, is it? That's a supernatural work of giving you a desire to do something you can't do in and of yourself. Number three. You're experiencing conviction, confession, and repentance of sin. So you know what the difference between conviction and condemnation is? So conviction leads you to repentance. Condemnation leads you away from God. 
Conviction leads you to God. Condemnation leads you away from God. Big difference between the two. If I feel condemned for my sin, that's a bad sign. If I feel conviction, say, man, I gotta, I gotta ask God to forgive me. I need God to help me repent of this. That's a good sign. If you're saying here, you say, man, that's not apply to me because I don't ever sin, that's a bad sign. <laughs> Number four, you're experiencing sanctification. That means you're becoming more like Jesus. That's a life transformation. Man, I mean, hey, like, listen, if you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I've been through some stuff this last year, but here's one thing I know for sure. I don't want to go back and be the person I was before I went through that stuff because God is changing me. That is called sanctification. That is a good gift from God. Number five, you're experiencing a growing love for God and God's people. So somebody came to Jesus one day and they said, man, Jesus, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest, the most important one? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law is encompassed in these two things. I mean, if you got that, you got what you need right there. Once again, the only way we're going to be loving God the way we should is by the Holy Spirit's power, joining God in what he's doing in our life. The only way we're going to love the people the way we should is by joining God, transforming us the way that he wants to. Number six, your faith it's conquering and pushing through your normal quitting places. Let me ask you something. Have you got any regret, regrets because you quit something in the past? Every single one of y'all shaking your head yes. You mean to tell me every, we all have looked back on our life and like, man, I wish I wouldn't have quit this. I wish I would have stuck that out. Well, listen, here's what the work of the Holy Spirit can do within you. It can give you the ability to conquer and to push through your normal. See, because you got some normal let me ask you something. Do you think the devil knows where you usually quit? Yeah. Do you think he knows what usually takes to get you to that quitting point? Yes. <laughs> Do you think that he might be working on you right now? <laughs> you know that? I mean, like, some of y'all are sitting by people you don't even know. You're sitting right next to the chair and people you don't even know them. And listen, you would normally not do that unless you go into a ball game or something. So what would make you want to come in here and pack in with a whole bunch of other people. Let me tell you something. It's not because of a good church. Right. It's not because of a good preacher. It's not because of a good song service. It is because God is doing a work in your life. It's because people are praying. Yeah. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Nobody, I mean, I'm not, I am, I don't go home and pray, God, give me a good sermon next week, please. A good sermon ain't going to help you a bit. So let me tell you what I pray all week long. I pray all week long that this, this area, this time, this moment will be consecrated to God, that all of us will hear and see what he wants us to hear and see, that none of y'all will walk out of here and go, man, that's a great preacher, but that you walk out of here and go, man, that is a great God. That's what our prayer is, and that's why we are here this morning to worship him, and that's what will put us through our normal quitting, because like, if you get all enamored with the church, all enamored with the preacher, here's what, you will quit. But if you get it, but if you get fall in love with Jesus, you will pack into a church. It doesn't matter if it's hot or if it's cold. It doesn't matter what it is, man. I just want to be around God's people that are worshiping God, man. That's what I just want to be. Just get me there, man. I mean, this is like as close to heaven as I'm going to get on this earth. I want to be there. I'm looking forward to heaven. I got a whole bunch of stuff I got to go through between Monday and Saturday. It's not like heaven. I need this. So flip that sheet over on the back. You got that, that sheet? Flip it over on the back. That's bonus material right there for you, okay? Let me, let me tell you what that is. So as I start developing the sermon, I thought the sermon was going to be about mercy. So as I was developing the sermon, these were the points that were going that PowerPoint for mercy. We talked about mercy for a moment. So that's what you see on the back back there is you see a whole bunch of stuff about, can I use this for a second? Yeah, that stuff right there. But then also from God questions, there's more stuff about how you know if you got true faith. So just put that on there for you to look at and to consider. Now, would you please stand? So here we are. January, we're past mid-January, 
2023. So let me ask you a question. Where are you going to be January 2024? Nobody knows. That's a good one right there. Somebody said, hopefully, closer to God. So here's what we, we know. We know this. The world, the flesh, and the devil does not want you to be closer to Jesus. Your flesh that's wrapped around you that's there 24-7 does not want you to do what you're doing right now. It's not okay with that. That's why the Bible Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've got to die to that sin nature, that flesh. I've got to crucify it because that flesh is out to mess me up. My own flesh is out to destroy me. So I know this, that if I'm not allowing the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in and through my life, then if I'm still here on this earth... January 2024, I won't be closer to Jesus. I can either join God in what he's doing or I can join my flesh in leading me the wrong way. If I join in with my flesh, chances are I won't even be in church in January 2024. I'm talking about myself too. I know you're all thinking, oh, well, but you're the preacher though. God, that applies to me too. I can think some pretty messed up stuff. I can go to make some pretty bad decisions. So all of us, I'm preaching to myself, all of us say, hey, I want to be growing throughout this whole year. Then, then here's what I know. Listen, I'll tell you something. I, there's a very few things I know, but I know this. I've got to be looking for what God is doing and joining him in that. I've got to be dying to myself. I've got to be feeding my soul. That is what's going to get me through my normal quitting places and bring sanctification into my life. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So today, as we read through all of this, where's your heart? Are you ready? Do you know for sure that you're saved? All came crashing in today. Do you know how it would all turn out for you? Have you just said the right things, but nothing's changed in your heart? then I would encourage you today to come to Jesus. Don't just believe. Don't say, I believe in Jesus. No, no, no. Come under his kingdom authority rule. Submit to him as Lord. God, my life is yours, Jesus. I submit myself to you. Everything, all I have is yours. I want to come under your kingdom authority rule. So God, today we thank you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that we can come together and to worship you in your place with your people. God, we thank you for heaven and the hope that you've given us in Christ Jesus. So God, let's bring my life under your kingdom authority rule. So would you like to pray something like that today? Now, I'm not, I'm not, whatever you pray, but I don't know, man, where you are. But even you're saved, man, you may, I pray that every day. God, I want to come under your, I bring my whole life under your kingdom authority rule. Maybe you need to pray that today. My marriage, my health, my job, my finances, my children. I want to bring them all under your kingdom authority rule. God, I pray to submit myself and everything to you. Pray that you reign and rule over every aspect of my life. Can you pray that today?
God, help me to steward everything you placed in my care with an eternal kingdom purpose. God, help me to see what you're doing. Give me the desire and the ability to join you in that, oh God. So we're about to take communion here in a moment. Communion is for people who are in Christ, who are saved, who've been born again. So if you're here this morning, you're like, yeah, I'm not a Christian, then communion is not for you. And if you got unforgiveness in your heart towards other people, communion is not for you. So if everything's good between you and God, between you and everybody else, then this is a time for us to come to the Lord's table, sit down with Jesus, be reminded what he's done for us, and to tell him thank you. That's what this is all about, to commune with him at his table. So make sure everything's right between you and God and you and everybody else before we, we head out. So let's just pray one more time right now. So God, we just pray. So right now, if you know there's some unforgiveness in your heart towards someone else, God, grant me forgiveness towards. Grant me forgiveness of my bitterness towards. Grant me repentance of these feelings, oh God. God, I confess my sins of whatever sins that's right there in your heart right now that you're thinking of. Holy Spirit's revealing, just confess those. Grant me repentance, O Holy Spirit, not to live under its bondage. So now, if you're, everything's good, you're ready to, to take communion, let's go ahead and come get the elements. So, you know, we are glad, happy to have, have everyone here this morning. I know that, you know, as we as I look around the room, I see faces I've never seen before. And I know that some of you, I see you every Sunday. And, you know, you may be wondering why I keep repeating the same things over and over again. But I just want you to be conscientious of the fact that there are people here who've never been here before. They've never went through communion with us before. They've never heard some of the things that you hear every single week. So I just want you to be conscientious of that. So if this is your first time here with us this morning, so glad you're here. So communion is something that we do almost every Sunday morning. And this is a time that, that we come before the Lord and it's as if we're coming to his table and we're sitting down at the table of Jesus. We're sitting across from him and we're thanking him because our sins are forgiven. We're under the new covenant. And it's just a wonderful thing to commune. So like you're sitting here around a bunch of people right now, a common area, common. We're all taking this together. We're doing something in common. We're unifying our hearts with Jesus. So as we do this, we say some prayers together. So it's only if you feel comfortable, you can say the prayer out loud with us. If you don't, that's your choice. That's fine. That's between you and God. So let's go ahead and let's, um, we read a few scriptures before we start. This is what Paul said to the church of Corinth. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's go ahead and open up the top to pull out the wafer. So I always encourage everybody to look at that, to, to just to contemplate as you're looking at that wafer, contemplate the body of Christ, because that is what this is representative of. So, you know, this is... I've, you know, I grew up in church where people said this is, a, this is only a symbol. Okay, so it is a symbol of the body of Christ, but it's more than that. There is, there is something mysterious that happens in this moment when we take communion. 
whenever we take this and we say that it represents the body of Christ, because it represents something more than a normal body. The body of Christ, that was 100% God and 100% man, laid down his life. He lived a perfect life. He substituted his body for yours. He substituted himself and took your sins, all of your sins, into his body, and he paid the price. The wrath of God was poured out on his body, so for you in Christ, it will not be poured out on you. So as we read about Revelation, all that, that's, that is small compared to the wrath that's poured out in hell. That is missing you today because you're in Christ Jesus. So if you feel comfortable, you can say this prayer with me out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you for salvation. You are my Lord. You are my God. You are my King. And you are my Savior. Let's eat in faith. Looking up the screen, if you would, please. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So he, so he says, you know, this is your choice. You do this as often as you want to. The reason that we choose to do it almost every Sunday morning is because we went verse by verse to the book of Acts before we did Exodus. And in the book of Acts, we learn that every time they came together on what they call the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, they had communion. So as a result of that, that's why we're doing this almost every Sunday now, we have communion together. So if you wanna go ahead and open that up, if you have not yet, let's open it up. Let's look at that, this juice. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. We're headed towards the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn in Egypt, where they take the, the blood of the lamb and they put it over the door, doorposts and all the family comes into the house and the death angel comes and when it sees the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, it passes over. So we get the Passover and that's where Jesus was having. He was having the Passover meal with his apostles when we just read right here. And what he's saying is, he's saying that that lamb and that lamb's blood that represented me, the lamb of God, that shed his blood for the sins of the world, that whenever we take that blood and we apply it to the doorposts of our life, it's called the atonement, it's a covering, that, that, that the, the death angel, the wrath of God, which represents the wrath of God, that it passes over us. So if you wanna pray with me, dear Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for salvation. You're my God, my King, my Lord, and my Savior. Let's drink in faith. That is the best tasting wafer and juice I've had all day. Let's all stand. Yeah, so you know, if you have any questions about your salvation, if you have any questions even about the sermon, whatever it may be, you know, I'm going to be hanging around here for a few minutes, be happy to talk to you. You can come talk to me. We've got elders, church leaders. You know, if you're familiar with who they are, they'll be glad to talk to you as well. Um, we break out from here and we go to a lot of community groups. Some of them arrive to church. Some of them are in this evening. We have some during the week. Um, you know, we'd love for you. You don't have to be a member of our church. Come to our community groups. We would love for you to be a part of our community groups. If you want to do that, that's where you just go another level deeper into fellowship, communion, and all these kind of things that we're talking about here when you, when you participate with us. Um, so just, hey, thank you for being here. Good to see you this morning. I want you to know, really appreciate you um, coming in and sitting so close to everybody. And um, it's just, it's a good thing. So it's really encouraging. So this, for some of you, I realize this. That was very uncomfortable for you. But let me tell you this, all the rest of us in here, we appreciate what you did by doing that, okay? So thank you. So God, we thank you today for all the blessings you bless us with. God, we thank you that we get to come together to worship you today, that you've given us the ability to do this. We thank you 
for your blood, your sacrifice, for salvation, for mercy, for grace. God, we experience so much grace and so much mercy every day and we don't even realize it. Scott, I pray this week, as we head into this week, that you would just stir in our hearts, draw us to yourself, open our eyes to your mercy and your grace in our lives and all around us. So as you can leave out today, I wanna pray number 624 through 26 over you, your life, your family. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace as you go in Jesus' name. God bless.